According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again as we get started this morning in the book of Numbers. We are going to be in the book of Numbers all day, so stay tuned for that. Numbers chapter 16, we'll be dealing with the rebellion of Korah. Our first session this morning is day 65 in the Through the Bible year. Day 65, which Ron Rhodes titles Priestly Rebellion. We have to cover chapters 16, 17, and 18 this morning. 16, 17, and 18. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, dedicating our time for the glory of Jesus Christ, asking for the Father's blessing on our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that we have to assemble together. Father, calling upon your faithfulness once again, I thank you that the Word of God is alive and powerful. As we study the living and abiding Word of God, Father, it's that Holy Spirit ministry of teaching that opens our eyes, opens our ears, and softens our hearts. So, Father, once again, we call upon your faithfulness to bless our time. We thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are... In the midst of the book of Numbers and where we left off, you might recall, we just had the Kadesh Barnea episode. We just had the episode whereby the nation of Israel was brought to the border. They could see the promised land. They were at the border of the promised land. The whole purpose for redeeming them out of Egypt was to bring them as a covenant nation now into the promised land. They spent a year at Mount Sinai. They received the law. They built the tabernacle. They set out on their march, and here they are, ready to take the land until... The the spies go forth and 10 of those spies come back and bring a terrible report, the wicked report. And as a nation, they rebelled, not just the 10 spies, but the popular opinion was behind what those 10 spies had to say. And so the rebellion takes place and God says, all right, this is it. You're not going into the land. Only the two faithful spies go into the land and it's going to be a 40 year delay in order for you to go back into, in order for you to finally make it into the land. And so Really, with that rebellion, as I back up here um, to the top of chapter 15, top of chapter 16, just going chapter by chapter. All right, so chapter 14, as they're rebelling, it doesn't take them long. That Kadesh Barnea rebellion continues, and it continues each step of the way afterwards. And as we get into these chapters, I mentioned this Thursday night, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord and from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour. And it goes on. What you see here, though, we talked about this Thursday night. Say, wait a minute. Are we back in Leviticus again? How did we get here? (laughs) Okay, I thought we were done with Leviticus. We moved on to Numbers. Yes, you did. However, 
the rebellion there at Kadesh Barnea and the, ju- and the judgment of God which said it's going to be the next generation to go into the land. What does that mean? That means the next generation needs to receive the, the Levitical teaching. They need to receive the ritual. They need to receive the doctrine that they're going to need. The doctrine that their parents received in the book of Leviticus now has to come to this next generation. So it shouldn't shock us then then in chapter 14, 15, 16, all the way through chapter 19, that we're going to have uh, many things that appear uh, Levitical in the midst of the book of Numbers. All right, now that gets us to chapter 16. And again, more rebellion, this time on the part of the priesthood itself. Chapter 16 deals with a Levitical and a Rubenical rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And if you've never heard the word Rubenical before, it's because I made it up. All right, I coined it, it's my word, I get trademark rights on it. But the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Reuben teamed up on this. And we see this as it gets introduced in these early verses. The conspirators are going to include Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and then uh, a fellow named On, probably On, I would guess, uh, the son of Peleth, the son of Reuben. Now let's look at these verses here. Korah and the son, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And all those names, uh, you know, you struggle to remember them, but also remember not only their names, but their families, their clans, and their tribes, as we've been learning the distinctions from tribe to clan to family to head of household, and all of these individual names that we look at. And so we have one Levitical uh, clan, that's Kohath, and then we have uh, Dathan, Abiram, and On. Those three are all Reubenites. And the sons of Eliab, the, the son of Peleth, different clans of Reubenites, but they're Reubenites nonetheless, took action. And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. Not a small number, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. Chosen. And so they're representing a much larger group as well. They're not just out there uh, running wild and and much to their tribe's uh, dismay. They're actually doing what they're doing with their tribe's approval. The tribes, the clans, the families, and the heads of household. So they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You know, we're a holy people, we're, we're God's chosen people, we're Jews, and we live uh, in proximity to the Lord, and, and why do you think you're special? And all of this rebellion against Moses and Aaron in their duties as unto the Lord. They're doing what the Lord called for them to do. All right, so before we get past verse 4 and following, we have the notes on the left. Um, with the names Korah, a Levite, in the division of Kohath. Remember, we, we saw the three divisions of, of Levi and what their duties were when they were camping and when they were marching and what are their responsibilities centered on the, the tabernacle. So uh, then we have Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, appear to be the ringleaders of this uh, cooperation with Korah's rebellion. So they have both a priestly component, also a political arm to go with them. Reuben with the political arm. And then on the son of Peleth, the son of Reuben. He's a bit of a puzzle because he's not mentioned ever again, uh, either in this context or any other context anywhere else in Scripture. So whatever the case may be on his involvement, we don't. all we can do is speculate. 
But then an additional congress of 250 princes of Israel that came together again, that was verse 2, of the assembly. 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly. And this is the concept that we realize when a body politic assembles together and they choose representatives and they delegate for those representatives to represent them in, in a gathering of some sort, in a congress or in an assembly, in a congregation, as it were. Okay? We, could, we could have similar parallels in a local church today. Or we could talk about uh, Washington, D.C. and the structure they have up there. Uh, but we have representatives that are serving the interest of those that appointed them. In this case, it's rebellion. The rebellion is a rebellion against the Lord's delegated authority. When they say, who are you? <laughs> you have gone far enough. You know, they decide to take it upon themselves to fire Moses and Aaron. To which I would ask, did you guys hire Moses and Aaron? <laughs> Why do you think you can fire them? Moses and Aaron were put there because God put them there. Why do you think you can fire them? God is the one who will fire them, and he's, he's, he's capable of doing that. He just fired an entire generation and said, you're not going to go into the land of promise. If he wanted to remove Moses and Aaron, he's free to do that. But that's his good pleasure, not ours, not theirs, not the people's uh, good pleasure. Korah's argument was that all of Levi should have spiritual authority, not just the house of Aaron. I'm kind of reading, perhaps I'm reading into the text here with Reuben's argument. Reuben should have the temporal authority. Uh, you wonder how much did the Reubenites resent being passed over and having Judah given the preeminence that Judah was given. Judah got to lead the march. Uh, Reuben got to lead the second camp, even though Reuben was the firstborn son. The prophecy was that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And if there was resentment there within the tribe of Reuben, perhaps this uh, involvement here is, uh, is an indication of that. The supporting Congress was in favor of Korah's party platform as it was much more appealing than dying in the wilderness under divine discipline. And, you know, when, you, when, when God announces his discipline, what was this generation supposed to do? You know, and, and it seems like they would prefer to appoint new leaders, go back to Egypt, live out their days there, rather than die in the wilderness like God told them they were going to do. And so I think we can see it for what it is. All right. So Moses establishes a test to demonstrate the Lord's sovereign choice between Korah and Aaron, and that's what we have here starting in verse 4. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, he spoke to Korah, and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. And so it's a confrontation, it's a showdown. It's like, uh, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, it's a you know, tomorrow we're going to see whom God chooses, and it's going to be very clear. There will be no, no uh, questions after we're done. So do this. Take censers for yourself, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them, lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. And actually putting the phrase back on them, the phrase that they had used, telling Moses that he'd gone far enough, he just turns it back on them. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation, to minister to them? And that's true. I mean, it's, it's all grace. If, if they have jealousy, if they are envious of Moses and Aaron and the, and the position that they have before the Lord, 
then, then why are they not envious about the position they, that, the, that they have as Levites, that Korah has, that, that all the clans of Levi have, compared to the other tribes, the non-Levitical tribes? Every tribe is serving by God's design, and there's no place for jealousy or envy or any of it, because whatever I have, whatever they have, whatever you have, it's all grace anyway. We deserve the lake of fire. So let's just uh, stop getting worked up about other people, and we think uh, we deserve what they have. All right. Also, verse 10, he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. You are seeking the priesthood also. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? So um, there we have it. Let's keep on going down. There's other points there, like in verses 8 through 11, as Moses rebukes Korah. All right, let's just keep going through. Uh, verse 12, Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. Okay? Who are you? You know, they're, they're, not, they're refusing to uh, acknowledge the subpoena. <laughs> right? They've got an arrest warrant, and this tribe of Reuben says, uh, We're not under your jurisdiction. You're a deposed ruler. And so uh, we will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? but you would also lord it over us. You know, God's already said he was done with us. We can't go into the promised land, so we're done with you. You're not our leader anymore. Are you going to lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So you just see they've, they've flipped it upside down. They're not willing to admit that Kadesh Barnea was a rebellion. They're not willing to admit that they're under God's judgment. They're blaming Moses for not giving them the land of promise with milk and honey. And you just see the, the, the nature of satanic thinking as the, as the rebellion progresses more and more and more down this, uh, down this road. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, now I like this, okay? He is triggered. Okay? He, is, he is angry. But instead of taking it out on Dathan and, 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 and Abiram, he actually just goes to prayer. And that's a good thing to do with your anger. <laughs> All right, If you're mad, just talk to the Lord about it. Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any one of them. So Moses said to Korah, you and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they, along with Aaron. And I'm, I'm, it doesn't really say what does Moses expect is going to happen in the morning? He's setting this up, but evidently on a faith basis that uh, the next day is going to be good for him and, and bad for these guys. Each of you take his fire pan, put incense on it. Each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall bring his fire pans. So uh, this is what's going to happen. And, and not just the, the ringleaders, 250 representative of the people. They also will have their fire pans. So they each took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it. They stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And uh, now it's going to become obvious. Okay, <laughs> All right. Make sure I'm not missing anything here. Moses rebukes Korah for his attempt to usurp the priesthood. Dathan and Abiram defend, defied their summons, asserted independence from Moses' authority. You know, and I tell you, it's a huge battle. It happens even in the, um, to, to this day in churches. 
folks struggle with, with authority as if, as if the pastor is some kind of tyrant or some kind of special thing. It's all grace. We have the functions that we have, and you either submit to the Lord's authority or you don't. And you face the consequences. All right, so the Lord then warns Israel to get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The back off. This is going to be spectacular. Okay? You don't want to be in proximity to the judgment. You don't want to identify with the rebellion. You want to identify with the faithful. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? And the prayer life of Moses here is curious, right? Because he is appealing to the God of justice and what happens with personal judgment as opposed to corporate judgment. What happens uh, you know, when, when he does visit the sins of the father to the children, to the third, to the fourth generation, on what basis is that legitimate within the, uh, the framework of God's fairness? So when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. All right, so this is how the solution is, is presented. This is how the balance takes place between the personal accountability and the corporate judgment and the fairness of God because the folks who are going to perish in this judgment have the opportunity to separate. They have the opportunity to, to stand back, to not be near ground zero when, when God's wrath hits. So tell them to get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Again, I don't know why On disappears or what, what his role might have been. It, the text just doesn't tell us. So Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. And that's kind of interesting too because they had defied his summons so he's going out to their camp. And uh, actually I think it's a statement of courage for Moses to walk out to that camp because he's, he's walking into the midst of, of the camp of Reuben there spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. All right, so there were some that stepped away and then there were some that stood there defiantly. Okay, sad? Of course it's sad. Terrible that their their wives and their little ones are going to face these consequences. But this is how God designed it. And uh, this is how it's always been. And the, and the function of spiritual leadership and the consequences that happen uh, to, uh, to the wives and the children in, uh, in these things. So, <clears throat> Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. He's going to settle the rebellion here, siding with Moses over Korah, Moses is the faithful one, the humble one. Korah is the one that's the, the arrogant rebel. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And by the way, the text doesn't tell us that this is what the Lord told Moses to say. 
we kind of guessed that that was the case. We kind of guessed maybe the night before, you know, or overnight he was dreaming or something happened. And, uh, and, and the Lord gave Moses instructions or a script to follow or, or uh, maybe he's just winging it, you know? Uh, in which case, <clears throat> this whole uh, make the ground open up and swallow idea <clears throat> was just something Moses came up with in his own imagination and then God made good on it, okay? God was like listening to Moses and said, okay, I can do that. Uh, as as the case may be, you know, it's, the text really doesn't indicate one way or the other how this uh, how this came about. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> I might need some water actually. If uh, <clears throat> Robert, if you could get me a bottle of water or somebody, thank you. <clears throat> I tried to have both coffee and water up here, and this morning I failed. <clears throat> All right, so we're in point eight in the outline. (coughs) Warning was issued so that those who feared God could choose to break their association with evil. Now that's tough. Okay, that's tough, especially when there's family involved. All right, because separating from the evil is um, means stepping away from mom and dad and the tribe and the clan. Thank you. And. you know, we, we see the same thing in our day and age. And a lot of times folks that, um, leaving the Catholic Church, for example, is, is very difficult for a lot of folks. But they know they want Bible teaching. They know they want something biblical and not something that's, you know, the, the, tradi- the non-biblical traditions of, of their youth. But it's more than just leaving a church. It's leaving a clan. It's leaving a family. It's leaving a culture. And it's very difficult in, uh, in a lot of cases. So the warning is issued, and those who feared God did. They stepped away. Divine judgment will come upon all who volitionally chose to identify with evil. And so they chose to stand there, and, and they reap the consequences of that. Interestingly, the sons of Korah chose to forsake their carnal father and humble themselves before their heavenly father. If you notice that, they stepped away. Some did. In verse 11. And with some hindsight, we can look back at it and say, oh, that's, that's pretty handy since they went on to become great hymn writers and uh, composed much of our Bible from the book of Psalms. The sons of Korah will become a great body with tremendous fruit. Psalm 42, well, there's a favorite. Psalm 44 through 49, Psalm 84, 85, 87, 88. All of those are Psalms of the sons of Korah. So good thing they chose the way they chose on this event, isn't it? Because the whole clan could have been exterminated in this event but a faithful few stepped aside. Also, the prophet Samuel was of this Levitical division when he was dedicated by his mother and uh, assigned to that Levitical division upon his adoption for lifelong priestly service. Uh, Heman, the singer, Samuel's grandson, was uh, also this Levitical division. So Psalm 88 and 1 Chronicles 6 as the references there. Boy, if I was allowed one side trip today, I would take time to go to Psalm 42, but I'm not going to do that. We don't have time for side trips. <laughs> All right. So here's Moses. <clears throat> Did he get these instructions the night before, or was this his own invention? I'm, I'm kind of curious to find out when we get there. <clears throat> but as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open. So I mean, God was ready, and as soon as he finished the, uh, the sentence, here it comes. 
And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. That, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. So more than just a physical earth moving, more than just you know bulldozers or angels you know excavating dirt and, and opening up a pit, also opened up a dimensional portal to Sheol. It says they went down alive to Sheol. You know, you can fall quite a distance and not die yet. And you know, it's that sudden stop at the bottom that tends to kill a lot of people. Okay, um, but no, I get it. There, there's heart attacks on the way down and whatnot. But they descended alive into Sheol. And then, as the ground closes up, it's not only is it physical, ge- you know, geography. It's dirt that's closing up, but also the dimensional portal to the underworld. To Sheol is also closed, and they perished. Mortality can't exist in Sheol any more than mortality can exist in heaven. Uh, the the needs of mortality require the uh, the environment of of this dimension. All right, so all Israel who are around them fled <laughs> at their outcry, for they said, "The earth may swallow us up." Okay, now they'd already been at a distance; they did not get swallowed up. But still, you see the lack of faith, you see the fear. Remember, this is the rebellious nation that, that uh, couldn't go take the land. And so, no wonder, you know, they're, they're running for the hills as well. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. And uh, so there you have it. Israel responded with fear. The Lord then destroyed the, with fire the 250 princes who are burying the incest. So however that broke down, among the, among the, remember the tribes are broken down into clans, the clans are broken down into families, the families are broken down into, into households, and so 250 of them across those uh, various tribes, whatever that breakdown happened to be. All right, we move on to Eliezer in the next paragraph, verses 36 through 40. Instructed to manufacture pleating for the altar in full view of all Israel as a warning. So the, the follow-up, the divine discipline is complete, but the lessons learned will continue. <clears throat> so the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and you shall scatter the burning coals abroad. Remember, Eliezer is now the firstborn son because of what happened to Nadab and Abihu. Okay? So you know, he's, he's probably well suited to obeying God and, and being very, uh, you know, reverent in the aftermath of divine discipline. As for the censors of these men who have sinned against at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy. They shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. Isn't that curious? Even though they were rebels, they still presented those censors before the Lord. And God accepts them as sanctified items. So he's going to uh, make use of them. Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which the men who were burned had offered, hammered them out as pleating for the altar, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not, or no stranger, no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord, so that he will not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. You know, so you leave things there, right? You leave things there as a warning. In, in this case, it's the, the, the beaten censers actually mounted as plates to the altar itself, and everyone that would come would see those forevermore. They would see those there at the altar and be reminded. 
Finally, the chapter closes with verses 41 through 50. A follow-up rebellion of grumbling occurred. You would think at some point they would stop, right? I mean, have have any of these rebellions worked? What are you accomplishing with any of this? No, let's just move on to the next one. A follow-up rebellion of grumbling in protest of God's judgment against for Korah's rebellion. So you can grumble to say that judgment isn't fair and just compound the interest, compound the the judgment. All right, so verse 41, on the next day all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. So Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. So, does this sound familiar? I mean, how many times does this happen? (laughs) And Moses passes, he passes the test, the first few times. Okay. So Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put it in the fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord, the plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses had spoken, ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense, made atonement for the people, took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. Isn't this interesting? You know, and you think about the, the faith of Moses and the faith of Aaron to execute this plan and to, to literally stand there between life and death. The plague is coming your direction. But those who died by the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been checked. All right, that's maybe one of the lesser known rebellions of the wilderness wandering. Get into chapter 17, Aaron's rod. Following the back-to-back rebellions and judgments, the Lord performed a miracle to assert Aaron's preeminence as the Lord's high priest. And the rod that buds is the proof that Aaron is the one selected, and and nobody else's rod uh, buds, and so uh, it it should be evident to all. And and every tribe, all 12 tribes are going to be a part of this, so that nobody else has those thoughts that Reuben had or or, uh, Korah had, that they could somehow uh, upend, the, you know, have a coup to take over command of the, of the Jewish nation. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and get from them a rod for each of the father's household, 12 rods from all the leaders according to their father's households. You shall write each name on his rod and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. And it's not clear how some of the tribes were structured in different ways, how it is that certain clans would have a greater preeminence than smaller clans. And how they selected the next tribal leader was not always linear from father to son. It may be that when a tribal prince died that his clan was no longer considered the leading clan of the tribe, and so the successor to that tribal prince could have not been his son, could have been uh, you know, uh, an elder from one of the competing clans or, or so forth. And some were so small they were never enumerated. Bethlehem was tiny. Beth- Bethlehem Ephrathah was not even counted among the clans of the tribe of Judah. 
And yet God went there and said, this is where, this is where the Messiah is coming from. <laughs> so the book of Micah, by the way, we'll get to that. All right, so take these 12 tribes, write the names on there, deposit them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony that where I meet with you. And it will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Uh, thus, I will lessen, uh, I will, thus I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. And this is actually a sign that God is doing for his own sake, for his own benefit, lessening the, uh, the grief. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel. All their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's households, 12 rods with the rod of Aaron among the rods. Okay? And so we see cooperation, we see uh, obedience, uh, we, see, we don't see defiance like with Reuben uh, refusing the subpoena. We see that all 12 tribes are on board to, uh, to put their rods in there. So on the next day Moses went into the tent of testimony and behold the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. It did more than bud. All right, it budded, it blossomed, and it bore. And, um, and, and, you know, this is obviously a miracle because, you know, plants typically don't do this after you take them from the ground and remove the roots. And, and you know, when you, when you take what used to be a plant and you make a rod, you turn it into a rod, okay? How is this happening? Well, God's at work. I like this. So, and everybody gets to bear witness to this. Uh-oh. There we go. The little keyboard has fallen asleep. That could be trouble. Mouse is still awake. Mark this down as a history in the church. It's the first time ever. Pastors put a lot of people to sleep. <laughs> but my keyboard is now asleep, but my mouse is still awake. That's kind of different. All right, so um, 12 rods are produced, each one labeled. Aaron's name was inscribed on the Levitical rod as Aaron is given rulership over the entire tribe of Levi. The Lord demonstrated his sovereign, gracious choice of Aaron with the visible, sprouting, budding, blossoming, ripe almond bearing of Aaron's rod. I mean, this is just not possible in human terms, but this is what God does. The people respond with tremendous fear that the Lord's executioner was about to come upon them. You know, I mean, guilty conscience much? What, what, why are you really waiting for, for the, the next blow to strike? So yes, the sons of Israel spoke to Moses saying, Behold, we perish. We are dying. We are dying. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Are we to perish completely? And, uh, you know, good lessons learned because, you know, crowds are susceptible to a, to a mob mentality. You're susceptible to panic sweeping through. And if, uh, if, 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 the word spreads that uh, we're all going to die, then there you have it. All right, well, that gets us through chapter 17. Chapter 18. we got plenty of time. I think I went too quickly for the first half. (laughs) All right. After the rebellions of chapter 16 and 17, the Lord admonishes Aaron to his responsibility for the priests and the Levites under his charge. God is always top-down when he's administering his expectations. Top-down in the chain of command. Top-down in responsibility and accountability. And so we start with Aaron and his sons here in the early verses. The Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. 
you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. You shall bear the guilt. In other words, if anything happens that, that's in violation of Leviticus, anything that happens, you're the accountable party. It's on your watch. It's your responsibility. Even if you weren't the one actually doing it, you're letting it happen. You should be supervising. You are the accountable party. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And so when you break down Levi and you understand what the different tribes are, right? Gershon, Kohath, Merari. You have those three broad divisions. And then the, 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 the families underneath those clans. And, and recognize that Aaron is the only one that is the priestly line. Everybody else that's non-Aaron is referred to by the tribe. They're simply called Levites. And they have their clans of Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So they are one of three different flavors of Levites based upon their clan. It's only the sons of Aaron that have the priesthood. They shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. Ooh, look at that. (laughs) Say, you're accountable. They have the death penalty, but you also. Why didn't you stop it? Why Are you not in charge? Are you not supervising what happens in the tabernacle? They shall be joined with you to attend the obligation. I say, uh, yes, verse 4. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the services of the tent, but an outsider, a stranger, may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar. I mean, this is on a daily basis. The morning offerings, the, the evening offerings, the, the, uh, the trimming of the wicks, the, the uh, maintenance of the, of the lamp, the, the, the bread that has to be placed and replaced, all the, the incense that gets brought in and, and burned on the altar of incense, all of the daily activities, and they are the accountable parties. He's going to hold the, the top level. They're the ones that are accountable. It's like in Revelation 2 and 3. He doesn't go to a committee he goes to one right-hand messenger for each of those seven churches. He goes to the, the angelos, the messenger of the church of Ephesus. He doesn't go to a committee. He goes to the one right-hand messenger and says, this is the problem. It has to be addressed or you're fired. And he does that for seven separate churches in Revelation 2 and 3. It's always a top-down delegation. All right. Um, So verse 5, you shall attend to the obligation of the sanctuary, the obligations of the altar, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. There's consequences for them personally, for the priests, the Levites, but the whole nation suffers if the priesthood is in rebellion. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to perform the service for the tent of meeting. And what a blessing that they have the Levites to help. Imagine if the priesthood had to do it without Levitical assistance. It'd be like a pastor trying to pastor without deacons or something. It'd be, it'd be horrible. The priests would be doing everything. They'd be breaking up the tent and loading up the carts and doing all the, 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 the earthly stuff. And uh, so no, the Lord knew what he was doing in, in providing for this. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider or the stranger who comes near shall be put to death. 
And any time these transgressions happen, and throughout Israel's history, any time there was a transgression in this, King Saul uh, transgressed when he started to bring offerings that he wasn't entitled to bring. There are other occasions whereby these uh, transgressions are seen throughout the Old Testament record. But notice, it starts at the top. The accountability is there. They are assigned these obligations, these duties, these responsibilities, and he holds them accountable for how faithful they are. The provision and privilege for the Aaronic priesthood is renewed in verses 8 through 20. We'll get to the Levites in verses 21 through 24. But we start with the priests in verses 8 through 20. The provision and privileges of the Aaronic priesthood are reviewed. Again, it's a grace provision. They didn't earn this. They didn't deserve this. <clears throat> this could be a long day. <laughs> this is only lesson one of four. I've got to pre- preach four times today. All right. God knows that. He's in charge. All right, verses 8 through 20. The... Uh, uh, Aaronic priesthood. So the Lord spoke to Aaron, now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. Keep in mind, this is still ongoing. Even though we, we read in Hebrews that what is obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear, we do see that when we get into the millennial kingdom, guess what? Even though the Christ is on the throne, even though he is uh, bringing in the new covenant, the new covenant replaces the Mosaic covenant. However, the Levitical priesthood continues. And specifically, one branch of the Levitical priesthood gets highlighted. We're going to see in the life of David, the Zadok branch gets highlighted for the millennial worship that takes place. It is a perpetual allotment. It's on hold presently because of the church, but it will be resumed after the rapture of the church. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved for the fi- from the fire, every offering of theirs, even every grain offering, every sin offering, every guilt offering which they shall render to me shall be most holy for you and for your sons. My suspicion is they're going to eat well. <laughs> My suspicion is these other tribes are going to bring a lot of sin offerings and guilt offerings and trespass offerings. You know? They're going to have some of the best fed priests out there. As for the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat of it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offering of their gift, even all the wave offerings, the sons of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. All the best of the uh, fresh oil, all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone of your household who is clean may eat of it. You know, they're bringing all these things to the temple, and guess what? God is not hungry. He doesn't need to eat these things. These are, this is supporting his priesthood. This is supporting the, the priests and the Levites in their duties. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. We talk about the, uh, the dedications of, of things that, that as a vow are given as unto the Lord. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. As to their redemption price from a month old, you shall redeem them by your valuation. This bothers some people as well, but it is what it is. Five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. 
but the firstborn of an ox or the firstborn of a sheep or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, shall offer up their fat in smoke as an offering by fire for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering, like the right thigh. As the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. How did salt get thrown in here? Where'd that come from? Okay, that just came, popped in from left field. All right. Anyway, perhaps in the coming days we will do a more comprehensive Levitical study. <laughs> I don't know. Hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Um, I, I mean, there are pastors that have done this. In fact, uh, Joe Schiavone, a pastor, a uh, friend of mine in San Diego, he has done a, an amazing work and he, he promised he'd send me a copy. Uh, but he's done a thing on the 615 commandments of the Mosaic Law and, and is on 58 pages of, of paper. And, and I asked him if he would email it to me and he doesn't do email. So, okay. And I realized he's, he's old school. And so he's going to put it on paper and, uh, and put it in the mail. And I'll be happy to read it when, uh, when it arrives. All right, well, that gets us through verse 20. So that's the uh, Aaronic priesthood. We do have the Levites now mentioned in uh, 21 through 24. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance. Yeah, who's spending all that tithe money that comes in? Where does that go? sons of Levi. And uh, in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting, the sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of the meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. So when they do, 40 years from now, get into the land, and when they start doing the ground surveys to divide up the land into the various tribes, Levi will not be represented in any of the 12 uh, land grants that, that are part of that nation. They're going to have cities that are going to be scattered throughout the 12 land grants, but they themselves aren't going to have a land grant. They're going to have no division of the nation of Israel but they will have the financial support coming through these tithes. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer for an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. And it's, it's curious to me, it's, um, I don't know, slightly amusing sometimes, but um, legalists in, in churches today that, that incorporate a tithing mechanism in their in their uh, church operations in that it's it's not biblical it's not uh, it's not a feature of the New Testament for the the dispensation of the church but they uh, they still they adapt it and they they take this from the Old Testament and they draw it forth but it's curious to me because the tithe is is supposed to be supporting the Levites and you know who are the Levites today? Why, why they're, they're, they're taking something and trying to adapt it, and yet they're basically they're scarfing up all the funds themselves to run a church, you know. And uh, it's uh, not the biblical process. Anyway, let me get off of that. Grace giving will outdo tithes anytime, anyway. That's it. It's proven again and again and again. Grace giving was so abundant when they were building the tabernacle that Moses had to say, "Stop! Too much. We have we have enough." In uh, in the procedures there. Okay, now the last section, verses 25 through 32. Uh, Levi's admonished to tithe their tithe. 
So verse 25, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, moreover, you shall speak to the Levites, say to them, when you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Okay? Because you don't want to lose the principle. You don't want to lose the principles just because you're the beneficiary when all of them are living the principle. Also, you don't want to forsake the blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so these other tribes that are giving their tithe, they're blessed as they're giving. The tribe of Levi that's receiving the tithe is less blessed for receiving it. Now they get to do both. They get to receive and give. So they get to have the lesser blessing and the greater blessing in, uh, in this application. So you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it you shall give to, uh, the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord from the, all the best of them, the sacred part from them. Notice God always gets the best. The sacred part is the best part, the first part. It's always God comes first. Not uh, keeping the best for yourself and throwing table scraps at the Lord. You may eat it anywhere, you and your household. It is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. You will bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it, but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel or you will die. Remember the contrast between holiness, between the sacred and the profane. Sacred is what's set apart, what's dedicated, what's designed for the Lord's glory, and then to profane it, to use it in a way other than what it was intended for when it was gifted, when it was given as a, as a sanctified gift. Okay, that's the sacred versus the profane. I think we lose that. We lose what the idea of profane because of, of uh, the, the idea of profanity. We think that profanity is just saying cuss words or just saying bad words and that's profanity. And we lose the idea of sacred versus profane. Okay? Profane. It is taking what should be holy and using it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a non-sanctified and a non-holy manner. Okay? In any event. It's a big emphasis here in the Torah, in the law. Alright, well we have time. I went through way too quickly. So, We should demonstrate some features. Let me back up. And this is again one of the great uh, opportunities that we have. The, um, I don't know what we were talking about, sensors. And uh, what's a sensor? Alright, so get back from among them. Fire pans and sensors. Here we go. What's a fire pan? What's a sensor? You ever wonder? If you're using the software, you don't have to wonder. Just All you have to do is click and see a picture. Okay? Click and read about it. Right click. Right click fire pan. Okay? And in this case, the, the guide is going to be similar for both the sensor and the fire pan, but that's okay. <laughs> we can at least see what the implements are. So when you see a fire pan and you can select, there's your Hebrew vocabulary. Okay? And you can see the, the mata, the scuttle, the sensor. You can come down here to the, there's this biblical sense, and then there's the thing, the sensor. 
And you'll notice I clicked fire pan, but it highlighted sensor. Why did it do that? Let me come over here and click on sensor. Same thing. It's a sensor. It's a different Hebrew. Oh, it's the same Hebrew word. Damata. Damachata. All right. So go to the sensor, come up here to the fact book, and try to end the confusion. <laughs> okay? Yep, it is absolutely the same Hebrew word. Well, now I'm not liking it. Take his fire pan and his sensor. All right. Whoops. G for green. And his sensor. All right, well, I'm not liking it. The Lockman Foundation did not ask me if I liked it or not. <laughs> it's the same Hebrew word. Why are you using two different Greek words or two different uh, English words? That bugs me. All right, open up your fact, fact book. Open up your fact book. You'll have the, uh, the material that's here. Think of the fact book as your little research buddy that's helping you out. And uh, you'll notice this is the fact book for sensor, but it also includes, um, you see the, the, the chain of terms there, and then you have your key article here from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. You have that in your library as well. Usually a cup-shaped vessel uh, on the end of a long handle or a bowl sitting on a pedestal. Sensors were filled with incense and burning coals in order to emit a pleasant odor. And you've got verses you can read there from Exodus, Leviticus, and Ezekiel. In the next panel down, you have your media. And in the media, you've got different pictures. You've got slideshows. Here's a picture of, sen of sensors. There you go. That's kind of cool. I expect this is where the big fancy churches clip these images and put them up in their slideshows. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Catholic churches, Orthodox churches. The, uh, if you go into Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, what Jim Myers calls the smells and the bells, and, the, and they, uh, they wave them around as they spread the, as they spread the, the incense through. Those are pictures of Egyptian censors. All right. So yeah, Israel wasn't the only country to do incense. Then we have key passages. The next panel down, key passages. You can list them there. You can, you can either be content to read those and leave it at that, or you can uh, open them all up in your own little, this is your censor Bible right there. All of those passages are opened up in a, in a filtered Bible that only includes those verses. You can also save it as a passage list. Okay, so here's the difference between, uh, between Machta and Miktareth. Two different words. All right, I'll work on that later. Five different Greek words. Different events. Events in the biblical record that, in that involve these censors. 
Uzziah becoming leprous, Ezekiel seeing his first vision, Shesh Bazar. And you notice none of these are the chapter we're looking at today. Interesting. All right. Then the rest of your dictionaries, the rest of your uh, research material that's available there. Journals, sermons, books from your library. Other books Logos would like to sell you if, in fact, you want to do more work on this particular topic. They will always highlight books you don't own because they are very happy to take more money from you. All right, so there's the, uh, there's the process there. All right, let's close with prayer and thank the Father for His grace and His glory. Father, I thank You for truth. I thank You for the privilege we have to study to show ourselves approved. Thank You for restoring my voice at the end of this hour. And I'm asking for three more hours today, Father. That's in Your hands. We give You the praise and the glory, Father, in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.